Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to T3M. We are back and we are better with our brother Daniel Hakikachu. Assalamualaikum, Daniel. Yeah, so tell me, man, what's changed in the last two days since we spoke? Nothing much. Just busy with a lot of stuff, but alhamdulillah, everything's good. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. All right, so today I want to I wanna go right in. We see, we live in a society where we got phenotypic men, right? Un- undeniably phenotypic men with pronouns in their bio. As if, you know, somebody needed clarification. We got, we got people, we got the Me Too movement, we got feminism. And then we got Islam, which is the antithesis, but it's not overtly so. To the point where we got a lot of Muslim sisters that claim to be feminists or claim to be Salafi feminists or hijabis. Uh, and to me, it seems like a contradiction. So I want you to get into this, man. Where where did this whole feminism thing begin? Was it truly for equality? Does it mean that Islam doesn't have equality for men and women? Are they not equal? Yeah, sure. Uh, feminism started as a, a weapon against uh, non-white people. <laughs> That's pretty much the origins of feminism as a attack uh, in the colonial project. Uh, so you had Europeans, uh, enlightened Europeans who were part of this liberal secular project trying to colonize the rest of the world. And this is known as the, what was known as the white man's burden. And it was racialized. It was this idea that the white European man uh, is uh, intellectually superior and has a higher IQ and the Uh, European mind is scientific and is best able to determine the right way to live, as we talked about in the in the previous discussion on liberalism. And so they want to export this. This was their burden to civilize the rest of humanity and bring them into the light of reason. And part of this project uh, was to criticize family practices basically to look at these other cultures and say, look how backwards they are. Look how they treat their women. Okay. That was a big component of it. And it also generated a lot of justification for the colonial project because it tapped into this kind of savior mindset. Like we need to go save these women from these evil men. Right. And there's a book, uh, that is pretty well known. It's called Do Muslim Women Need Saving? And it talks about the more modern context in the run-up to the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan uh, in the past 20 years, where a lot of the justification for that was these Muslim women are being oppressed by Muslim men. These Muslim women are being subjugated in their homes. They have to dress like this with the hijab and the niqab. They are not allowed to just move around freely. They can't go and marry whoever they want. They need like a wali. So this is oppression and we need to save those Muslim women. And that generated a lot of support for the war in some segments of Western society in America and in Europe. And, but this is not something new. It didn't just start with the Iraq war in 2003 or the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001. It actually predates that to the beginning of the colonial period, which was uh, in, back at the end of the 18th century. Uh, this is, so then what happened, though, is that that weapon 
that was being used against Muslims and other, like the Chinese as well, certain Aboriginals as well, Native Americans, the same arguments that they make against Muslims, like, oh, Muslims abuse women because of polygamy, for example, or because of like inheritance uh, law and marriage law, this is oppressive. Those same practices to a certain extent exist in for native many native american tribes existed for many kinds of uh, traditional cultures so all of these arguments that they've been using against muslims they were also using as all of these different uh, non-european cultures and people in an effort to colonize the entire world but then what started happening um, towards the end of the 19th century those arguments now were being picked up by uh, white women and European women. And so then they said, look, you're advocating so much for the rights of these Muslim women or these brown women. What about our rights? And we want this and we want that. And we want equality here and there and that. So basically the weapon was turned against uh, them. And we're still seeing that today, like those same kinds of destruction, like the destruction that feminism has wrought on uh, people around the world and cultures around the world <clears throat> now more recently in the past hundred years is being turned against uh, America and the West in general. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. So that's like the untold story of feminism. Like the idea that, oh, feminism was just women who wanted to vote. Like that's, that's like a cartoon caricature. Like <laughs> that's not really like the true full story. Like, the original feminists were the colonizers, um, these European men who want to save, you know, quote unquote, save Muslim women as an excuse to control and take over and kill Muslims. So for a Muslim to be a feminist is like the most ironic thing. And it's the most backwards and contradictory thing. No two things could be more incompatible. And it's, it's not even necessarily subtle. It's like very obvious. So, and, and then the way that feminism operates nowadays is to throw shade, if you want to put it like that, on the entire Islamic tradition, because feminists say that, look, we can't really trust information and knowledge that's coming from men. Like that's just a male bias and that's mansplaining. So when we have all of the greatest scholars of Islam were men, right? There were men. Like you'll talk about someone like Imam Ibn Taymiyyah or Imam Ghazali or Ibn Hajar or on and on. All of the ulama, the, like the founders of the uh, four madhahib, uh, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmad, Imam Shafi, Imam Malik, and so forth. There were men. Where's, where are the women in this? Not to say that there weren't women scholars in Muslim history, they were, but the top scholars, just in terms of their sheer knowledge, they were men. Uh, the final messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad, he was a man. So this is a problem for a kind of feminist equality understanding, right? Uh, because you think that if it's coming from a man, that's a male bias, and this is patriarchy, and this is structural oppression. So you'll see many of these Muslim feminists who claim to be Muslim, they'll reject all of the Islamic tradition. They'll reject all of the Islamic tradition. They'll say, this is just patriarchal nonsense. We don't need 
<laughs> the Islamic tradition because it's male bias. We'll just go to the Quran itself directly. But then there's a problem because in the Quran, Allah, the uh, pronoun in Arabic that's used for Allah is huwa. Huwa means he. So Allah used the preferred pronoun uh, that is used to refer to Allah by Allah in the Quran is huwa, it's a male pronoun. So then you have some feminists who have a problem with this and they'll say, no, my Allah is a she. My Allah is a mm. she. And you had uh, Rashida Tlaib, the uh, congresswoman from Michigan who became famous for some reason as like a Muslim congresswoman. Uh, she actually went on record and said that, no, I'm a feminist and my Allah is a she. So now you're disagreeing with the words of the Quran. And this is clear blasphemy. You want to change the words of the Quran. So that means you have a problem uh, at that level. So that, this is how feminism, like the word that I use for it, it's like the road to apostasy. You get on the feminist track, it might start off simple, like, oh, you know, I think that there needs to be more women's programs in the masjid or in the community. Like we need more women's programs. That could be a good effort or a good initiative to have mm. resources dedicated to like educating Muslim women and so forth. Fine, that's good. Uh, but then if you take it too far and you start drinking the Kool-Aid and buying this ideology uh, at its face value, then step by step by step, it's going to lead you to have a, eventually have a problem with the scholars of Islam to eventually having a problem with the Prophet wasallam, because he was a man and he had uh, 11 wives, for example, and then you're going to even have a problem with Allah himself. Mm -hmm. And you have feminists like Amina Wadud. She became infamous. Uh, she's an academic. She wrote a book. And in that book, she says, we have to be able to say no to the Quran. We're going to say no to the Quran because sometimes the Quran is not going to be just. So you as an individual woman of color, a proud woman of color, you should be able to say no to the Quran. So this is clear kufr. Mashallah, what a strong, independent woman. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's why there's such a big with just the discussion of feminism, because if someone were to say something like feminism is not Islamic, um, and then you have people who believe that just the very basic understanding of feminism of, you know, I, I want to do more for women and if they're marginalized in society, then, you know, I want to help them. And you take that in person and they hear the statement that feminism is not an islam right that muslim woman is going to be like what are you talking about and then that muslim woman saying feminism is an islam the other end is going to be like what are you talking about like you're you know like you said you're on the road to to apostasy now subhanallah and i think if 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 only people knew the history because it's the first time i heard it myself if people know that history that it's it's so ironic that um the first group of feminists were men like it, <laughs> they were the white knights. Yeah, subhanAllah. It's and it's so Wait, funny. we can say that? I don't know what's YouTube's community guideline policy. But... Mm. <laughs> Bro, we're well, saying like, everything and anything. We're saying anything and everything, but if we do do a transcript and we can we can definitely write white guys, anyone watching this, if you if you work for Google or AdSense, when we say white knight, we're talking about like a knight, like the night sky. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're not talking about like a knight in shining arm. That's just a PSA, though. Yeah. It's fun a lot. So, what uh, do, when we say simp, what do we mean? Uh, someone in male my presence. Someone in my presence. <laughs> yeah, just someone in my presence, bro. Okay. We got we got simps everywhere. 
Right? We got we got someone in my presence no matter where you go. So we are all simps right now. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't have anyone all... in my presence right now. I'm by myself. Yeah. I'm by myself too. I'm by myself too. Run me. There's no simp zone, basically. No simping. No simping. No simp. Alhamdulillah. Yo, merch coming soon. No simp. <laughs> 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 All right. Now, based on what we talked so far, I want you to give us a little more couple examples that you could think of that feminism has been propagating and cultivating itself in the youth. Because, again, we know that the next generation is going to be from the current generation. So youth education system, how is, is the school system masculinizing women? Right, Because that's essentially one of the goals of feminism and emasculating men or little boys. Yeah, there are so many examples, but as um, you know, you recognized there is there is a natural sense that men have of protecting women, right? And Allah has put us uh, put that kind of sense in us that women are more delicate, uh, they're they're generally weaker than men, they're smaller. So we have an instinct, like a father, to protect his daughter, or a husband to protect his wife. Like that's a good instinct. That's a natural instinct. So a lot of people like this becomes like a gateway for feminism. But what feminism does is that it completely blows it out of proportion. So when we say we're opposed to feminism, we're not saying we're opposed to uh, women's rights. But the question is, who defines those rights? Are the people defining the rights, you know, just, you know, random atheists and materialists? who don't even believe in God, who may not even believe like in the akhirah and the afterlife, or are we going to allow Allah, the creator of men and women to define what really is a woman's right and what's not a woman's right. And so we have to be clear on that. We're not opposed to women's rights. We just want the proper articulation and the proper understanding of what women's rights are. And the only way to have a proper understanding is to go back to what Allah says and what was exemplified by the Prophet وسلم, as the final messenger to mankind. So that's like there's a gateway because of just natural male sentiment of wanting to protect daughters and, and, and mothers and sisters. But uh, you do have exactly as you mentioned, a kind of agenda against what's called toxic masculinity. And this is a big problem. Masculinity is important because masculinity is one of the genders that Allah has created. Allah has created two genders, as controversial as that might be in 2021, uh, but uh, there's just male and, and female, and each one has its own nature. And if you want to live, be able to live your life harmoniously and flourish as a human uh, race or as your family, your community, there are certain roles that are defined and there are certain kinds of sentiments and attitudes and uh, proclivities that are distinct for the men, for males and for, for women. And without that, without that distinction between the two genders, it's going to collapse and you'll have chaos and confusion and depression and anger, resentment. And that's what we see with a lot of men and women today, because these this, the idea of gender has completely been collapsed. We're not, I can't say that you're a man and I'm a man. You're a person, right? You're just a person. And, you know, I don't know, Hillary Clinton is a person and your mom is a person. You don't have a mom and a dad. 
you have two parents. Mm. They could be anything. They could be any gender. And you, you don't have to have two. You can have multiple. You can have like three, uh, you know, male identifying and four female identifying and two non-binary. And those, they yeah. can all be your parents, right? But there is an objective right and wrong answer. Like there is an objective best way to like raise children. There's an objective best way to like have a marriage. Okay? It's not like just this free for all that you can just decide whatever you want. If you do, then don't be surprised if you fall into depression. If your children uh, in that household are more likely to be depressed and do drugs and have mental problems to be abused uh, to f- go to jail, to be unemployed, like all of these risk factors, like if you want to ar- argue it just from a secular perspective and, and you're someone who doesn't care about what God says, then look at it just from a secular statistical point of view. Mm. And you have all of these risk factors associated. Now you might say that, well, this is because we haven't normalized it in society, but there's a reason why all societies historically have done have had gender roles and they've had a distinction between male and female that's universal so why is that okay you can't say it's like a cultural construction like this is just something that has been invented by people because if it were invented by people then how do you explain how all of these people cultures separated by time and space independently arrived at the same answer the same solution for how to you know organize their families and how to have marriage and how to have uh even even something like polygamy polygyny with man and multiple wives that's a that exists in 75 percent of world cultures cultures historically that's mm-hmm. that can by, be just by chance like they're independent they're not influencing each other yeah so then th- there must be something in our nature this is mm-hmm. how we were created. It's objective. So, but the feminist mentality and some would say Marxist mentality is that, no, there's no such thing as human nature. It's all just an invention. It's all just a social construction. And we can structure family and gender and in and, and whatever way we want. And we should in order to maximize equality and liberty, as, I, as we talked about in the previous session. Yeah. Okay, okay. If if somebody let me just jump in on me. If somebody came to us and said that feminism is a covert way of depopulate depopula, depopulation agenda for like the human race, I would be more likely to believe that than to believe that it's for women's rights. Because because at the end of the day, if you're if you're coming to me and saying that the you know we're we're imposing feminism, this, this, and that so that, you know, less people reproduce, you know, men are now no longer men, women are no longer women, everyone's confused, we're all this one equal androgynous thing, and, you know, it's going to seize uh, this whole uh, crisis of running out of resources, I'll be more likely to believe that than what it is. But to quickly, uh, you know, add on to the point that Brother Daniel was making, for anyone that, that hasn't caught on, these are actual statistics, men uh, and just kids in general are high, higher likelihood of being incarcerated, uh, you know, getting into gangs, doing more drugs, getting into more crimes, uh, not, you know, finishing school and, you know, higher mental illness, like you said, reliance on, you know, haram uh, when they're raised in single mom households and, you know, single mom households, uh, 
there there are exceptions to this, right? Because you know, in Islam, it's sunnah to marry, you know, widows and all that. But what I'm talking about, single mom, is this. I'm talking about this Planned Parenthood, you know, modern feminism agenda to promote single motherhood. Because you got a woman who, you know, she might have kids and you know, two, three different baby daddies. She will get a good fat check from the government at the end of every month on the ninth from each of them. But as soon as you put a man in that picture, even if it's not the biological father of those kids, she will no longer get that check. So you got the government incentivizing women to not really worry about keeping a man and keeping this family dynamic. Yeah. Well, hold up. So you said the uh, all the the sides of. You know, being raised in a, a single mother household, but what are the sides of being raised in a household where you have two dads, or you have two mothers, or you have I, like I don't just think, this I don't group think... of people that are your, your so called parents? Yeah, bro. Real quick, I just want to correct you. I don't think it's okay in twenty twenty one that you use those words. You should be saying parent, or you know, whoa, you, should whoa, be saying, whoa, you should be saying buddy. partner. There's no husband, bro. It's partner. I think the the, the White House passed this new. Uh, bill that they they're taking out the words brother sister father mother i'm sure you guys have heard about it and it's official it's this is not like me saying something i saw on reddit so it's crazy but i want daniel to answer that man if, if a kid's growing up with two fathers and you know clearly like i'm no scientist but i would say the kid's adopted right <laughs> because you have two men what, what happens to that kid what is he going to grow up seeing um, I mean, there's this really traumatizing documentary. I'm trying to get the uh, name of the exact documentary. Mm-hmm. It's like Boy with the Mango Tattoo or Tree Tattoo. Have you heard of oh, this? That says it I all. think I've seen it. Yeah, I think I've seen it. You've seen it, right? About these two guys that adopted the boy. And they were basically uh, abusing him. Like it's a really mm. traumatic story. Damn. Like it's very traumatic. Wait, but... Like sexually abusing. Yeah, him? yeah. They were like trafficking him, and it was like a huge case uh, out of Australia. Um, maybe someone in the comments can post it, or someone can look it up real, real quick. Boy with the something tattoo. Anyway, I might have a terrible memory. But this is like a really traumatic documentary and you can't really look at the statistics when it comes to child abuse in some of these kinds of uh, marriages and it's like politically incorrect. So nothing gets published on the actual official stats, but every now and then a story comes out or a documentary like this comes out and it shows like the reality of what that is. Like there's a, it's really angering, uh, angering mm-hmm. and shocking. So, I mean, people can go look that up or maybe someone can post it in the comments. But um, yeah, if you, if you have children of your, your own, like go and watch that documentary and you, and you won't be able to sleep for at least a few days. It will make you so angry. But yeah, I mean, we can talk about all kinds of risk factors associated uh, with children who are born uh, or are raised in this kind of uh, same-sex uh, marriage. And what I have can cite is a study that was published that says that um, there's, a, I think, seven times or 11 times more likelihood of being sexually molested 
and abused uh, when you're for children who are in those in those households. So, I mean, these are facts and it's not surprising because as you mentioned, like you, they can't both be biological, right? Yeah. Uh, so then they're not biological, then, okay, what's the other side is a stranger. And oftentimes you'll find that um, these same-sex marriages, like what percentage of uh, opposite sex couples do you think cheat? Like they're married, I think lower. but they cheat. I think lower than same sex. Like, yeah, it's it's about um, like fifteen percent, less than twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so about seventy five percent they're faithful. Like they're not going to mm-hmm. cheat, yeah. but there's like twenty five to fifteen percent who will cheat on, even though they're married, adultery, zina. Uh, when it comes to same sex, ninety six percent. 96%. And this is because they just have a lot more partners, right? That's just a lifestyle. So the average gay man will have uh, in his life 500 partners or more. And most of them are anonymous. And this is something that I talk about. I mean, we're getting into a different topic now with LGBT, but the average non Muslim man will have maybe six partners in his whole life, non-Muslim, six uh, opposite sex partners. But the You're talking about heterosexual. Man, yeah, hetero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the gay sex. man will have 500. And a certain percentage, like 20% of gay men will have over a thousand partners. And that's just like gay lifestyle. That's what the lifestyle is about, is a lot of anonymous sex with strangers, like going to the club and, and doing that. And from a biological perspective, like there is a really good balance between men and women, right? Because men are the uh, testosterone is driving them to be aggressive, like to pursue relationships. And they want, they typically have higher libido and women will restrict, right? uh, Reproductive access more so because a woman is selective in who she partners up with, right? And that's the case for Muslims, non-Muslims, like women are just more selective, right? They don't, don't just sleep with anyone uh, and, and they're hypergamous, which we'll, I guess we'll get into. But if you have men who are more aggressive and they want sex with other men who also want more sex together, then that's going to mean a lot and a lot and a lot of, of this kind of uh, man-on-man activity mm-hmm. hold on then being it too <laughs> graphic there, there's a lot of gay dudes out there that aren't really you know masculine men bro they got a lot of that feminine energy you got the estrogen man so I, I don't know but like I, I do see that where it's like um as a guy I, I think something that prevents us from wanting to have so much sex is the fact that like we can get a woman pregnant you know, and this is speaking like as if someone wasn't a Muslim. Obviously, as a Muslim, you're not going to think like, oh, I'm going to have sex with every single girl I find. But it's like even even though that's like in our DNA to spread our seed, like we still have that in the back of our mind where it's like, ah, uh, if I have sex with X amount of girls, like there is a huge possibility that X amount of girls are going to get pregnant versus if, if you have this gay dude and he's like, ah, well, I could have sex with 500 dudes and none of these dudes are going to get pregnant. So I'm, I'm good. 
Exactly. Mm. Exactly. That's a great, great point. So, I mean, that's, yeah, those right. are the statistics. So it's uh, there's, so then how can you really have a stable childhood, like growing up in that kind of environment when you're, you know, your dad is engaged in that kind of behavior? Like what, how, what kind of effect will that have on you? you can, we can't really talk of... about that. Like mm-hmm. you might have to like edit this video because I don't know if it's going to, be banned nah, bro we say everything and anything no 100 i know but... we can we can say anything and everything but that don't mean that youtube is gonna keep it up mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but no we'll definitely we'll if we do talk go end up more about lgbt we'll, we'll make like a separate video on it then but you know to, to address your points that you know a lot of people might not be on the same page picking up what he was putting down about why women are more selective and choosy is because think about it, a woman can get pregnant maximum once per month, right? Because she ovulates one one time per month. And even then when she ovulates and if she does get pregnant, she's she's what? She's out of commission for nine, 10 months until that, that baby's out. For a man, if you give him 10 months, he can theoretically create the whole human race. We're not even going to get into that, but he doesn't need to be so choosy as in a sperm cell is not as, as valuable biologically, genetically as, as an exo. So men can therefore afford to prioritize more of a, and I believe it's like an R strategist approach where it's like they have, they can have more kids and not put too much emphasis on each kid. Whereas a woman, she needs to go for the highest value man. Now, this is a wonderful time to go into hypergamy because we, we did kind of delve into it a bit in the past, but I know a lot of people are watching. They're like, what is this hypergamy thing? I've heard about monogamy. I've heard about polygamy. I've even heard about this weird thing y'all Muslims practice called polygyny. But I don't know what hypergamy is. Is it like you have too many wives or like, how does that go? So, um, yeah, man, why don't, why don't we go into that? Yeah, I mean, you've described it perfectly, like the reason for it, like the biological basis for it. Uh, women have to be more choosy and they need to uh, mate with a man who they feel is going to be able to provide for her when she's out of commission, when she's pregnant and uh, will not only protect her and provide for her in that weakened state, but will also take care of her children and will provide for them and make sure they have enough food to eat. They have shelter and they'll, they're protected from uh, enemies and from predators. So you need this. So as a, a, as a woman, you're prioritizing having uh, that kind of strong male provider. And then there are certain indications of what makes a strong man uh, and who will be best to reproduce with. So one is physical size. If the guy is just taller, if the guy is just bigger, yeah, that's something that she will be attracted to naturally. Like it's not necessarily conscious. Some of these factors, some of it is conscious, like six foot, six packs, six figures. Okay. That's conscious because the women are are, are saying that on Instagram or wherever, or on TikTok or their uh, what's Tinder profiles. But the, uh, a lot of it could be unconscious as well. So wanting a guy who is tall, his wealth, like how much is he making? How much resources that does he have? His status. So like if he's higher status, uh, even if he might not be the best looking guy, but he's like Bill Gates. Okay. Then that there's an attraction there because 
female attraction is not purely physical in the same way that men's attraction is, right? Because again, it's all come boils down to that reproductive strategy that you laid out at the beginning. Uh, so like your status, even like being funny, like guys who are funnier appear more tr attractive to women, like being able to being good with words, uh, performing in front of people like that's considered that's seen as being higher status. And so that status is what uh, attracts women. So hypergamy basically means that a woman is always looking for someone who is higher than her in status. So she's at a particular status, like you can rank, like my rank from a one to 10 is a five. So if I'm a five as a woman, I'm looking for a six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Ideally, I'd like a 10 if a 10 will have me as a five, but I'm looking, I'm not paying attention to the fives, the men who are fives. I'm not paying attention to the men who are fours, threes, twos, and ones. Okay. And you know, their, and their calculation is based on mainly status and indications of status and, and physical size and so forth. This is common sense, right? And then men will have a different calculus, but they're also thinking like, I'm a man who's a five. I'm looking, I'd love to be with a 10, a woman who's a 10. And the man's calculation is primarily based on looks. There are other factors as well, but that's the main thing. We don't care about status. I don't care as a man, how much money you make. I don't care as a man, you know, how many degrees you have. That doesn't matter to me. I care second mostly person about... person say that. My bad for cutting you off, but second person to say that. Keep going, bro. Yeah, so I'm, I'm talking like just purely from a non-Muslim standpoint. Obviously, mm -hmm. for marriage purposes, Islamically, there are more... You have to look more than just looks, right? You have, and if you're a woman, you look more than just wealth and status. You have to prioritize deen and the person's relationship with Allah. Of course, I'm not denying that. But what is the biological component of it like what do, does our biology drive us to and that's something that is not in your control right if a 10 walks by right you're going to look you'll have the you'll have the uh impetus to want to look but then it's deen and taqwa that tells you to lower your gaze right but you still have that natural uh impulse and that's the same for men and women. When this, when the millionaire drives up in the Lamborghini in the Lambo uh, on the street, the woman can look right, and she'll have the, she'll want to look. Oh, who's that guy? Who's that high value guy who's driving the Lambo? She'll have that kind of sentiment. But it's Dean that says, no, lower your gaze. You're married, or lower your gaze. You shouldn't be like looking at guys, strange guys driving up in the Lambo. So this is this is what hypergamy is in a nutshell. You got you're saying you got you can't be looking at a guy you're married. We got married girls in clubs today, bro. And fellas, Daniel is dropping a hell of a lot of game right now. And I know a lot of you might not be fully, you know, on the same page, but everything he's saying, it's it's it, it's not just what we're saying from Islam, it's also biologically or secularly proven, right? You got prom promiscuity at an all-time high. 80% of women sleep with 20% of men. If that's not hypergamy, I don't know what is. And hypergamy is, is aligned with this dualistic imperative that women have. They simultaneously need to secure the highest value offspring. 
and simultaneously make sure that the highest value offspring survives because there's no point if you can you know mate with a high quality you know male like daniel's talking about that high status ideal guy with the 666 i wonder where i've heard that from as well but there's no point having that kid but then the kid dies like a month or two after he's born right stuck for a lot so you gotta simultaneously as women they need to secure both and oftentimes today we live in a very disparate society where you know men are very variant in how they are you got some men that are growing up to their 30 40 50 and they've never even you know interacted with a woman and you've gotten a, a guy obviously you know we don't condone this in islam but by 18 19 he has like a you know a body count of like 30 so you know men today are not the same and you know society has a large you know role to play with that we're not going to talk about causative factors but essentially to sum up his point because there's so many men that are not that guy, that guy that, you know, me and Anna keep talking about, because there's so many men that are not being that guy, that is everything. He is simultaneously, you know, physically the, the highest value male, but also, you know, he can provide, he can protect. Women today will not be with that same guy. Women have incentive of mating, you know, obviously like, you know, out of Islam, we're talking about, you know, most promiscuous cultures today in the modern day, they will mate with just high value men. But then they also want that guy who's like stable and like, you know, a provider. And I feel like a girl's, a woman's, you know, ovulation cycle has a lot to do with that. And people, people don't know about these things. But when you see what a woman finds attractive during the first two weeks of her cycle, she will find more alpha, you know, dominant traits attractive. She will find that, that man you're talking about, the six foot guy, six pack, she'll find this more attractive. As soon as she's done ovulating, the second half of the month, she will find kind of the opposite traits attractive. She will find someone who's more of a provider attractive, who has more wealth, more attractive than the beginning. And this is because biologically speaking, if she got pregnant when she ovulated, right, her body doesn't know that she got pregnant until the next, you know, cycle. So, you know, evolutionarily, she needs to like now, okay, cool. I got pregnant. Now I got to make sure this kid grows up and he's straight. He's, you know, obviously secure. He's going to be healthy. So now I got to automatically seek that provider, that protector, that provisioner. And women today are not, they don't realize that, but what Islam, and I know um, brother Daniel talked about hypergamy in the, in the debate, I'm going to say debate with uh, APUS. He talked about it clearly. And he said that, that as men and, you know, in Islam, Islam limits this hypergamy and, you know, allows a woman to have both of her imperatives met with one man. And women don't want to hear this today. They, they say, oh, why can't I have four husbands? You know, or, you know, what's wrong with a woman being the provider? So I want you to answer these two questions. Well, I mean, why can't you have four husbands? Like, what kind of husbands are you going to have? Like, there was this uh, new story about exactly this situation. A woman uh, with four husbands. And I'm not going to describe what the woman looked like. Um, but let's just say like, you wouldn't want, like, it wouldn't be difficult for you to lower your gaze, but, uh, the four, uh, guys, I mean, we're talking losers. Like they were just not attractive at all in any sense. And they have to be losers because they can't get their, like a woman to commit to, uh, for them by themselves. Right. So they have to share. They're not, that's how low status they are. So the thing about hypergamy is that women are not attracted to women, uh, to men at the same status 
And they're definitely not attracted to these kinds of wimpy, weak men who are, are willing to share, <laughs> share them, right? And in, in literature, you hear all kinds of uh, stories in, in literature and art about a woman, like a high value princess, and the men have to fight to the death for her, right? They have to duel or they have to like fight over her, right? I, I mean, it's cringy. Yeah, that's true. But the idea is that she's going to go home with one guy at the end of the day, right? It would be kind of anticlimactic. It wouldn't be a romantic story if the two guys, instead of fighting to the death, said, hey, get, hey man, why are we fighting? Why, why don't we just share? We'll just be buddies <laughs> and let's just like hug it out. That would be like an anticlimactic, very wimpy, non-masculine, revolting kind of solution, which is why we don't see those kinds of stories in, in literature. So women themselves would not want and would not be attracted to these kinds of men that uh, agree to be co-husbands because those type of men are, you know, you can just imagine them. That's why they have to do it all in secret. Like if they want to cheat and have like multiple side pieces, they have to cheat in order to do that. Because if one of the guys finds out, he's not going to stand for it. He's going to leave her, right? I'm not going to be like some, uh, I'm not going to be played like that, right? But with women, that's not the case. Like many women will consciously agree like, okay, I will be a second wife, I will be a third wife or for non-Muslims, I will be like a groupie or I'll, I will be a side piece, side chick for this guy because he's, you know, high status. He's high value. He's like a LeBron James or whoever, uh, Jeff Bezos, whatever, because he's at that level. I'm fine with being the second wife, third wife, fourth wife. So again, it goes back to hypergamy. It goes back to women's nature and man's nature so when women say that oh why can't i have four husbands it's not like something that they really want they just want to make like a counter example or an argument against polygamy that's that's it they wouldn't really want to have that kind of situation and just look at these pictures of actual couples or not couples but uh families where it's one woman and multiple men and see if that's the kind of life that you want to live 100 man Oh, and then actually with that, with that couple, actually, uh, I posted it on my social media this one time, but what happened is after they reported a year later, the, the woman got pregnant Okay, she got pregnant. And then one of these co-husbands ended up killing the babies. Mm -hmm. So like, very, it's a very, it's a very inherently natural thing to comprehend because Jeez. One, the reason Islam, guys and girls that don't understand this whole thing about why men can be polygynous and we don't have polyandry is because... No, wait, hold up. Take your glasses yeah. off before you answer this. All right, bro. All right. As I was saying, bro, you look at you look at men and you look at women. None of those men in that relationship with that woman, I'm not talking exclusively to the man that Daniel's talking about that uh, you know, killed the daughter. I believe it was a very young, like, infant, too. Um, you know, and the baby was just doing whatever the baby was doing, right? Um, the guy was alone with that with the baby, right? The, the mom or the wife was not home. The co-husbands were not home. And he did exactly what is kind of inherent because, one, none of those four guys have guaranteed paternity of the kid. Now, this is very controversy of controversy. 
um, contrary to what you see in Islam. See, Islam doesn't allow uh, a woman to have four husbands because then there's no guaranteed paternity. We, we, we look at kinship and inheritance because these are Im important fundamentals in Islam. And it's, it's, it's the way of the sunnah. And when you look at one woman with four, four men, you don't know who's the father. You don't know who, who has paternity. But if you have one man with four women, it's, it's almost guaranteed. You know that it all came, you know, you know who the mom is and you know who the dad is with all of them. Right. Because women never have to go through that, that same thing that men have to go through. I know this is a little bit of an off comment, but I know, bro, if you have a, if you have a kid with a, with a woman, with a wife, right. Yeah. Inshallah, bro, she doesn't cheat on you. But if you don't do a paternity DNA test, you cannot guarantee to me that that's your son. You can't, bro. A woman. Well, yeah, yeah. Go on. Go ahead. No, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. You're good. I was just like a woman never have to have that, that worry. Right. Yeah. There's markers that we can have as men to like, you know, look at morphologically. But for women, they know if this came out of me, 50 percent of the genes are from me. So 100 percent, it's my kid, at least. Whereas a man, you idealistically can maximally have 50 percent if, you know, it's your wife. But minimally, it could be zero because it might not even be your kid. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is like relevant, like uh, in Islam, you mentioned like understanding your nasab. Uh, understanding like where you come from is very important. And this is actually one of the maqasid of the Sharia. Like one of the aims of the Sharia is to preserve Nasab. Um, and it's something that even non-Muslims can easily understand, right? Because imagine not knowing who your father is, that can be very traumatic. And I mean, some people it's not their fault, but they just don't know like who their father is and their lives are harder because of that. Um, it's, you always want to know your origins. Like that's a human instinct that we all have, but another very important thing, uh, with paternity and knowing your nesab biologically is that, uh, fathers or men who know like the signs of paternity are there, like they are sure, or they're very highly confident that that child is his, mm -hmm. they're going, they have more natural feelings of love and more natural feelings of affection and feelings of wanting to sacrifice and put their own lives on the line for their own children. And again, this is not conscious and it's not cultural either because you find this across all cultures and you even find this uh, in the animal kingdom as well, um, where the males, if they are, they feel more confident in their paternity, uh, they're going to be much more invested in the marriage and then more invested in the child. So this has actual tangible consequences in a society where paternity is constantly being mixed up because people are promiscuous and they're getting knocked up without being married. And now with like sperm donation and adoption, like they adopt kids okay? in Islam, it's permissible to adopt kids, but the parents adopting the people adopting pretend like they're the biological parents, right? And then only later does the child find out, oh, these aren't my biological parents. I actually have different parents. So this is like deception that Islam doesn't allow. But uh, point being, like if you have a society with all of these things happening, then paternity is constantly being mixed up. And so you're going to have uh, adults who care less about children and are less protected, protective of children and less invested in children, as opposed to Islamic society, it's going to be more invested in children more protective more stable households so these kinds of rules in islam about not 
doing zina, not committing zina, about keeping gender separate. So there's not even much chance of falling into uh, zina with people. Those are actually there's infinite number of wisdoms behind that that you can see uh, in the world around us today. Alhamdulillah, true. That's very true. I just want to throw this in, man. Like this is this is far back because like y'all just kept talking. I didn't want to interrupt because it was so good. But um, thinking back in terms of like women and men, like women are so choosy, like you said where you have a five and like, she's going to try to get anything above that. but She's not going to stand for something that's like at her level or below, but it's like, you have a guy who's a five, like he'll take anything you can get, you know, like, I mean, maybe he might not go for the one or two, but it's like, look, if he can't get anything better than that, like he'll accept it. Yeah. That says a lot. Yeah. That's why like the situation now uh, where you, you said like 20% of guys are with 80% of women. That's exactly because of what you're saying. Because the, the, the women, because of Tinder and just hookup culture, if she is a five, right? She can get with a 10 for one night, right? She matches on Tinder with a 10. The 10 is fine. Okay, I'm going to be with you for one night. I don't care if you're a five. I don't care if you're a four. It's just like a one night stand. I'm just getting it. But then who is he going to marry though, right? Who is that 10 when he has to get married? Who is he going to make a a commitment to? He's going to make a commitment to the other 10, right? Not to a four. So then that four is going to be like, why can't I get married to these guys that I'm used to sleeping with. I'm used to sleeping with these one night stands with eight, nines and tens. But now when it's time to get married, I can't find a good guy, a high value man. There's no good men out there. <laughs> it's because her sense of, uh, she, she's really a four, but because she's been getting with these eight, nines and tens, she thinks she's much higher in value than she really is. She and so she's, it's like a rude awakening like I can't find the husband that I want. I just have these loser options basically. And she mm-hmm. doesn't realize. And then what happens is she gets like in her thirties, late thirties, then she has to settle. She thinks she's settling, but it's really a guy who's much better than her. And then, yeah, she's going to be f- depressed. <laughs> she's going to feel like she settled and she's with a loser. And those marriages end up being very sad and depressing. And she ends up leaving him eventually and she might be like one of these single moms again single moms we're not using that as a pejorative sense but we're talking about these independent women who they slept around their whole lives they went through like how many notches in their bedpost and they might even have a a kid uh, and now they can't get with the tens so they have to find some guy who is going to be like a beta to provide for them and to keep maintain like their lifestyle so some poor guy doesn't know that he maybe has only been with a few women in his, in his life as a non-muslim but his wife with a child has been with maybe dozens of guys with all, who are in higher status than he is so it's a very depressing situation subhanallah man i know so many women that they're in a relationship or a marriage married to this guy who's quote-unquote that beta like you said she kind of felt like she settled for him yeah she had a man you know maybe he's not here right now for whatever reason and now they kind of got with this guy 
And it's, it wasn't her fault, but it's like now to the point where she is, that guy's not going to do it. She's not used to that. Like you said, she's used to that 10 or she's used to something else. These women, if, if they don't already cheat, they're more likely to cheat. And again, their, their provisioner, provider, protector type of thing is met for the, you know, the dualistic imperative. But that man that they, they desire physically, sexually, they don't have that. So they're more likely to cheat on, on them with that. And conversely, women that have that, that man that you're talking about, the, the one who physically is what they want, I'm not saying if they have that, they won't cheat on him with the beta, but they're at least more less likely to cheat. Because the reason people cheat primarily is physical. Right. So if you already met in that aspect, you don't really need to, to cheat with a guy who's that. But yeah, you're right, man. Uh, Brother Daniel was, was 100% on that. You got women that are 30, they hit the wall, and now they're kind of wondering, okay, I, I'm used to this type of caliber of man, but this type of caliber of man doesn't want me anymore. Right. And they, are, they feel like they already peaked and now their clock's running out. They feel like they got to secure that man, but they can't find it. Right. And I feel like to, to end off the point that Brother Daniel was talking about, a big reason that has to do. And we already talked about it. Women only date up or marry up in Islam and in any culture. If women are out here pursuing high degrees, right? I'm not against women in education. That's not the point. But women are out here pursuing really high education. I'm talking about grad school level. Let's say they're a doctor or a lawyer or something, right? That alone, because of hypergamy, because women only marry up, that limits the amount of men that are higher than her relatively in terms of status, because women look for status significantly right you got a woman who's used to just sleeping with eights nines and tens she's not gonna that what, what do you know the average man is what like a five or six so that's gonna limit that even more right so feminism is creating a bunch of women who are basically so masculine so up here in value or at least they think they are they're conditioned to think they are that they can't find a guy anymore because most guys are not going to be at that top one percent level uh, that's not the truth with, with men on average that I've seen. I'm sure Anhel and Rami can relate to this. How many guys do you know that are like maybe sevens or eights? They just don't realize it. They're out here simping for like a two or three. They're out here compromising Islam for the chick. They're out here compromising their own manhood, their integrity. And they don't realize they're doing it, bro. Rami, do you want to add something? I mean, there was a lot I wanted to say throughout the entire conversation, but like Angel said, I don't want to interrupt it because, you know, it was going so smoothly. Um, but, subhanAllah. I don't know, the first thought is like, imagine if everybody was just humble, right? <laughs> you know, no one looked at themselves like, oh, I'm a 10, you know, I'm amazing. And obviously there's a fine line between knowing your self-worth and um, just being arrogant and, and thinking you're amazing and better than other people. Um but subhanAllah, it's just, it's all, it's, it feels like it's all deception at the end of the day. It doesn't help that we live in a very, um, you know, consumerist type society. I saw a video the other day where, you know, the, the woman was talking about how women are like products and men are like the consumer, right? Which is why, what was it? Like women make up 80% of the, of consumers, right? I think, I think, yeah, about that. Like that yeah. <clears throat> so they're buying all these products because they're, becoming the product themselves for men essentially and men are just essentially buying them with whatever you know high value they have and it, it just all seems like delusion at the end of the day because what are they really working towards like if is that your ultimate goal in life it just it's, what do you yeah. what do you say to women that are going to refute your point and say oh all this makeup I, I i do that for me 
or I'm dressed this way for me. Yeah. yeah. Then, then why don't you settle for someone who's a three? If you think you're a five, if, you know, like why, Very true. If, if, why are you putting it on and, and, you know, not going for someone at the same level as you when that makeup is off, right? Why? Yeah. And, and what, what do you achieve for yourself when you, cause you know, there are other ways to feel good about yourself. Why don't you go work out? Right. Why don't you uh, save up and, and give in charity? There are other ways to feel better about yourself rather than, you know, putting putting makeup on your face and i'm not saying you know makeup inherently is horrible there are certain contexts where you know it could be good for you to wear makeup like if you want to you know look even better for your husband there's nothing wrong with that Dude, i think makeup should be banned bro you have women out here put makeup on and they appear like they're like seven or eights and then once they take that makeup (laughs) off surprise they're like a two (laughs) or a three bro it's like yo yeah Catfishing. that's also a form oh. of deception which is the yeah, man. Part. brother brother gabriel romani made a, made a video about that on igtv about women having you know we got filters today filters that manipulate how you look you got fillers you got apps like facetune you got makeup like on on was talking about that should be banned um i'm not saying i agree i'm not saying i disagree but the point that we're getting at is it's just hiding what you really are and when you do too much of that, you're not, you only feel comfortable and confident like that. You don't feel you when you're not with them. Like for men, we can't relate. Like, well, I can't even say we don't wear makeup anymore because you got dudes wearing makeup now. But I'm saying the average man that's still like us, that's in their frame, in their aligned with their fitra, we don't go out with makeup. If we don't feel okay about how we look, call us, man. We could do something about our, our body. But with little things like that, we can't, we don't put on foundation and you know, all that stuff. So, but you want to know something crazy, y'all? Genetically mm. speaking, the male species is actually more attractive than the female species. And that can be seen in many different animals, bro. Look at the peacocks. The male peacock is the one that has all the beautiful feathers. And the female peacock is this ugly abomination, bro. Looks like some burnt turkey. Burnt turkey, boy. And, like, if you look at women in humans, like, it's very rare that you get a girl that's, like, like an 8, 9, 10, like, subhanAllah, bro. Like, it's very rare that that happens when they're like that with no makeup. But so as what you're men, saying, like, what you're I'm saying? just, I'm not saying, like, anything, like, <laughs> suggesting dudes to, like, go after other dudes. That's, that's homosexual, bro. Mm. What I'm saying is that, like, if you look at it in a non-homosexual way, mostly dudes are the ones that are raking higher up in the scales because most dudes don't use makeup. Yeah, there there are two things I want to add to that point. Um, firstly, I want to say there are two aspects, right? Because one, who is looking at the who is looking at these women, right? It's men, and I feel like our perception of beauty nowadays especially with makeup and, and the societal concepts of what's beautiful is so high that it's just harder for women to to kind of meet that standard especially when you know you look at like porn stars and in these very promiscuous you know this these disgusting industries whereas for women we men haven't been put on that you know yet on that scale yet on that no, scale you have to look this way right we're they still are, bro no, are, bro. what are you talking about what about brad pitt and tom Cruise yeah and- yeah but they're not athletes yeah or but, but that's the thing okay yeah there's a very good looking man mashallah but they're not just good looking men they're like you said athletes and and stars and and yeah they're they, rich 
Yeah, but my um, yeah, that's my point. But they they have more of a high value in terms of societal mm. high value. But talking about looks alone, that okay, it's not, it's not the biggest deal for men to just look that way. So it's it's I feel like it's more of a perception thing, right? I got you. More men are perceived to be attractive than women are perceived to be attractive because for women they have to be up here to look attractive. For men, okay. they don't have to be up there. But there's a to lot dress- more. Them. yeah to address Anil's point bro this whole penis and everything we're talking about of women just wanting to be men with feminism this is another example bro makeup to be more attractive because just like you said bro in nature i'm not sure about empirical studies but i don't doubt that male species are on average more attractive than women that's the first point sisters before you you think we're just attacking you bear with us because we're gonna we're gonna bring everything full circle and give you some game too <clears throat> but bismillah to address rami's point Rami, what were you just talking about? How you got the average man who is of high status, high wealth, and all this compared with, you know, paired with the good looks that we're talking about, he's the top 1%. But you're saying a woman with just looks alone can get so much further in society. I agree. A woman today with just looks can get anywhere. I'm talking about living life on recruit mode, right? And this isn't like some attack on y'all, but this is real stuff. And you look at Islam, you look at, you know, the way you know, we're supposed to be as men and women, we have our roles. We're not trying to, you know, become one another, trying to, you know, be more than we are, seem like, you know, we're more valuable than we are. It does tie into the humility that Brother Robin was talking about. Everyone has this big ego today, right? And, you know, before we go in on women and kind of, you know, tell them the approach that is more resourceful and conducive, let's talk to men, bro. Let's give a nice message to all all the brothers watching this right now because we got we got men you know i'm not going to expose any people obviously with names but we got men that are out here sleeping with multiple women that they call you know you guys already know what i'm about to say they call them that they call them you know promiscuous and all that. i'll say promiscuous to be you know a little more youtube friendly they call them promiscuous and yet they keep sleeping with them and they're like oh most all girls are like this but they don't realize every time you sleep with a girl that you don't have an intention on a commitment with, you're creating another one of those girls. They don't, they don't get that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I had a friend who uh, would call women whores. And he would say that, um, that none of them wanted relationships. None of them want, were serious. They were all jokes. And then he would go on to uh, have sex with prostitutes. I was like, that, that's kind of backwards, man. Like that's you're saying that about women, but then you're over here paying to have sex with a woman. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of things, I think most things in society start, you know, with, with men, right? Um, and the good things in society should start with men. Because if we are the leaders, right? And Allah, that's the reason Allah gave us um, not status over women, but responsibility over them. In, in, in many regards it's because um we naturally are created to be you know those leaders so if we're leading everyone in the wrong direction right if we're being promiscuous uh, it takes two to tangle that means women are being more promiscuous but then we're going to throw it back on them even though we're looking at the end results right like we create this problem that kind of starts with us and then we go back on them once they start being promiscuous and we throw it on them and say, you know, looking at the end result, saying that like it's kind of their fault. They shouldn't be that way. Um, but if I feel like if every man society uh, fundamentally was proper. I feel like the women would, would essentially have to follow that 
Mm-hmm. Same way, if, if every man is kind of lost and broken in society, the women inevitably would follow that as well. But this is something that even feminine feminism would cut out because it's kind of like we don't need men to be leaders, right? Mm-hmm. So you you take a, a masculine man who's supposed to be a leader and you emasculate him. Where are you going to get in society? Because you you kind of cut off the means of, of progression. It's taking the responsibility away from a man and putting it onto a woman. When it's biologically in that, in you know, our dispositions, it's not supposed to be that way. How are we supposed to benefit from that? Brother, you, you see women that are probably going to find this video from one of Daniel's, you know, subscribers, mm-hmm. or they're going to find those from one of your TikToks, let's say, or on IG. They find this video, they hear all this. They come with all these preconceived notions about, okay, I know Islam undeniably is a patriarchal religion. All right, I'm not going to deny that, guys. We're not going to make things up. Undoubtedly, Allah gave men authority over women. After Allah, I got authority over my woman. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, something in some sexist sense or anything like that. But this is what it is. This is Islam. Now, with that power comes responsibility, right? And I'm not talking about I got, you know, after Allah, I have authority over women. I'm talking about like every man has that authority, that responsibility over their women. Not, you know, a next man's woman. Because we got porn plots today that it's so it's normalizing affairs. It's normalizing infidelity. Do you guys feel like that has something to do, porn as a whole, with why successful relationships and marriages are not lasting? Yeah. We'll let uh, Daniel yeah. address that first. Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. To bring it back to feminism, I think the reason that a lot of these marriages are failing is because of uh, feminist standards of equality. Uh, because they give this idea that men and women, husband and wife, should be partners, equal partners within a marriage. And this is the gold standard, like an equality marriage that feminism promotes. But because of hypergamy, this actually goes contrary to women's nature, right? And this is contrary to what women are attracted to. So if you have a marriage between two equal status, like five and a five or seven and a seven, that marriage is going to be less stable. That marriage is going to be less uh, successful statistically. Why? It's because of the women uh, thinking just naturally that they have settled. They have settled for a man lower than what they really want in terms of status in terms of uh, having that hypergamous uh, instinct. So you have these kinds of marriages, they're on the basis of equality. And what happens sometimes is that the woman is actually being more successful in her job and she's progressing the corporate ladder. And as that happens, the guy is not progressing at the same level or he's maybe even dropping, maybe he loses his job. And then for some reason, the woman says, look, I'm not attracted to this guy anymore. He's just not doing it for me. The excitement has left my life. She won't necessarily know that it's because of this discrepancy in status. It's again, it's all unconscious, but her husband is just not as attractive in her eyes as before because of that change in status. So feminism is actually encouraging the like the breaking of all of these marriages because it's going so contrary to hypergamy Um, and women themselves, like the women could, if the feminist movement were serious, they could end 
uh, patriarchy in a day. They could completely end patriarchy because all the women have to do is say that, guess what? I'm going to marry men who are lower in status than me. I'm going to go and marry, I'm a, I'm a six, I'm going to marry the two. I'm a seven, I'm going to marry the three. If all women decided to do that collectively, they could end patriarchy and end you know, all of this abuse that men are doing, supposedly, because they would be the more powerful ones in all of their marriages. But they don't do that. Why do they not do that? And you can ask. You know, and, and sometimes if I give a talk, I'll just make a general comment. Like, women, think for yourselves. Would you, be, would you want a man who is smaller than you, like physically smaller, physically weaker, who is less intelligent than you, who is less confident than you, who has a lower job than you? Is that something that you're looking for? Or are you looking for a 666 and whatever? So this is just women themselves, like mm. their preferences. It's not necessarily like Islam is acknowledging the reality of this. And you, you mentioned, you know, the uh, ayah from Surah Al-Nisa, Al-Rijal Qawamuna Al-Nisa. Um, but also in hadith, like this idea of status is acknowledged by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this um, is a hadith basically to paraphrase that says that uh, status is considered and suitability is a consideration in marriage. And this is actually called kafa'a, kafa'a in fiqh. Um, and, and you'll have books of fiqh that talk about how there's a responsibility of the wali, of the, of the daughters, of a woman's father or her grandfather or uh, male relatives to ensure that she is married to someone who is of suitable status, right? If she is marrying someone who is a, of less status because of, he doesn't have enough money or he is not you know, of, a, of an honorable uh, background, then that's actually a, a reason where that marriage shouldn't happen. Like, because why? That's infringing on the rights of the daughter. That's infringing on her rights to not be married to someone who is of suitable status. Kafa. So this is something that is also found in Islam. Like, we're not just talking about like red pill, men's rights stuff. This is also uh, within our own religious tradition. Mm -hmm. Would y'all, I want, I want Rami to say something, but I want, I want Rami to answer this, bro. From your experience, all right, just women you've known in your life. Doesn't have to be, you know, women that were ex-wives of yours, bro. I'm talking about women in general that you've witnessed, maybe family, maybe uh, friends. You don't need to say any names, but are, when they are in their feminine, all right, when they're surrounded by men that are being men, that they don't have to be the man. Yeah. aren't they happier on average don't they look more relaxed and more yeah. more girly you know 100 yeah. percent. genuinely they do and when they you know contrary to when they don't have that there it seems like they're always on edge or always stressed they feel like they have this burden on them and then you can kind of see it in them they feel like this burden shouldn't even be on them to begin with um but we live in a day and an age where it's kind of like if they were to say something like you know a man should take this burden from me you know they're they're alienated because now they're saying something that's so contrary to what's politically correct. Um, and this is also going against female nature. And I see it all the time and it's really unfortunate. And a lot of women just don't want to admit it, but why, why would it be bad? Right. I don't want to go off on a tangent. There was something I wanted to, to, to mention before, but that, that's basically the, uh, the answer to the, your question. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know. You got something to say? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I noticed this with my mom. Go ahead. I, I remember, like, she told me that when she was married to my dad, uh, she would want to do something in the house. Like, let's say she wanted to uh, install a new fan, change the uh, front door, or paint the room or something like that. She would ask him to, like, help her because, like, he didn't do any of that stuff. And I was like, as a man, like, well, even if you don't like doing that, like, still do it because it's, it's your responsibility. And my dad wouldn't do that. He's like, oh, just wait. Like, well, uh, uh, like I'll help you later. And um, my mom would just go and do it by herself. So basically, she had to be the masculine in that situation. And she hated it, bro. She hated it. And then here she is with me. Like, we were over here changing the front door. And she was saying that she was going to change the front door. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out because I'm your son. I'm staying with you at the moment. So I'm the man of this house. And I literally, as I'm like doing everything for her, um, I grab something. Then she's like holding that. And I'm like, oh, let me see that drill bit right there. I grab the drill bit. And I grab this. And then as soon as like I'm going to grab something, she like pulls it away. And she's like, oh, I can do it myself. Like, she got real emotional. And I was like, excuse me? Like, you see me doing this right now. Like, just submit. Like, give me the drill bit and let me finish. I didn't say like that. I was, you know, proper to my mom. <laughs> I love my mom. But, like, I looked at her. I was like, I was like, stop. Like, why are you being so masculine? And then, like, she realized, like, it hit her. Like, oh, I've been this way because I've never had a man or any kind of man to just like do this for me because her dad wasn't in her life and then her husband wasn't a man in her relationship so it's it's crazy too yeah bro uh, same exact thing happened to me multiple occasions me and my mom because my mom was was in the same situation where she kind of did all the the you know um physical labor housework in the house um every time i go to help her me and my mom can all work together it's just two, like, it seems like two equal leaders trying to fight each other on every split thing and it doesn't work. And sometimes it gets to the point where I'm just like, mom, leave. I'm going to do this myself. Get out. Go. Let me finish it. And um, I, I see the same thing in her that she just wants to do herself because she, she's been that way for so long. But she's so much happier when I tell her to leave and, and I do it mm -hmm. myself. When she comes back and just sees the, the finished result, she's just a lot happier. Uh, alhamdulillah. So I, I feel you on that one, man. Man, it's like I told my mom, I was like, look, stop trying to be so masculine. Like, I'm your son. I'm a man. You have a man right here who's doing this for you. You do not have to do anything. All you have to do is literally whatever it is that you want to do. Or you can sit here and talk with me while I'm doing this. But, like, I'm doing this for you. It's like, just let me be the man. And she literally, like, after she heard that and after I was just, like, reasonable with her, and, like, basically, I brought logic, but in an emotional way to her where, like, I guess it was catering to her emotions, but still logical by nature. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, to answer your question, bro, I'm not going to keep Bro, going. let me ask one question. I want Daniel to answer first, and then I want the two of you to give me your take. The woman that's been watching so far that – you know, vibes with Daniel, vibes with Rami, vibes with me, vibes with everything Anna was saying. And she can relate. She's lived her life, handled, you know, just been around pussies, and she just never had a man, all right? 
And she never had a man that was just in charge, taking care of what it means to be a man. So she had to kind of be that man. And it's deep. She's realizing that cognitive dissonance, that paradigm shift. She's kind of vibing with what we're saying, but she's kind of like, dude, what? okay, if I don't do it, then no one's going to do it. There's no, there's no real men anymore. Um, what do I do? So what is your, you guys' advice, starting with Brother Daniel, that to give this woman that's kind of falling so far, but she's so used to being the man wearing the pants that it's almost like being in the feminine is kind of abnormal for her. And this is not for the woman that already has a man. That's, you know, a proper man, subhanAllah. But I'm talking about the average woman today. She's, she's trying to find a man? You said she's not trying to find a man. No, she doesn't have a, a proper man. And she's combined that with years of conditioning of her having to be the man. What is your advice for her to unlearn this, this behavior? Oh, okay. Is this common? Like, there are a lot of... I know that in for mothers, like there are a lot of mothers, even in my family, I know where it's a mother and she has to be the man, essentially. Yep. Like she does all the physical things. Mm-hmm. You mean like That's that why... level? But with the younger generation, I don't see that. Like younger girls, I think really? a lot of them are really pampered. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, I see they're pampered, like entitled or like hardcore, like eldest daughter, you know, never had any stability i gotta be the the man type thing just because you haven't seen it in your circle or your family doesn't mean it doesn't exist uh, just because there aren't really strong masculine men in your particular circumstances does not mean that they don't exist so that's what i would say uh, don't lose hope and and don't have like this bad attitude uh, about um, men in general, just because you had bad experiences. I know uh, men who have had terrible experiences with women because their moms were abusive and they're, they had a lot of bad female family members. And then they're kind of like broken in the sense that they can't trust a woman. Uh, but I tell them as well, the same advice just because you had these bad experiences and you've see, seen a certain thing in your environment, don't project that on all women. There's plenty of good women out there. And you know you should have faith in Allah that you have taqwa and you have sabr and you put your trust, tawakkul in Allah, then he will find you a way out and he will match you with someone who is at your level you know, in terms of your love for Allah. So always have that in mind. Like tawakkul is so, so important on issues of marriage and family. You can't do it alone. You have to rely on Allah. That's the only way anyone is going to survive. Okay. What about a woman who, before we give advice to men, what about the woman who has that? Just like you're saying, she already has a man, but the man's not being a man. So she's now, she can't just, you know, leave the man. Maybe she's tried, you know, because women aren't overt like us, right? Daniel knows this. Women are, they're going to sub-communicate that, you know, you're not being a man, but they'll never tell you. And some men are just so blind and not present that they, they don't, they're not aware of that. So what they, they, these women do is they kind of feel like, okay, he's not listening. He's not being a man. So I kind of just by default, I got to do everything. Or just like the other two brothers here were saying before, I got to fix everything in the house. I got to do all the manual labor. They're not doing anything. So what can this woman do? Well, it depends on exactly the situation, but um, the cases that I have experienced or seen 
sometimes the woman just thinks that she has to do everything because she is like a micromanager and she wants everything done her way. That's one case. And if that's the case, then she just needs to step back and like not try to manage everything. Let the guy have to step up. Like he'll have to step up. Um, there was one case where uh, this Muslim couple actually, and the guy was just, he wasn't really, you know, he was kind of more intellectual. He was maybe a little bit absent-minded. So he wouldn't pay the bills on time. Like they had money, like he had a job uh, and she had a job too, actually. So they had money, but like paying the bills on time, he would like forget. And so the wife would kind of manage that, but then she just got frustrated and was like, look, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm not going to pay the bills. And then their lights got cut off like one month and or for at, at one because they hadn't paid their bill. And then that was like a wake up call for the guy. Like, wow, I, I really need to step up because otherwise we're not going to have electricity. <laughs> we're not going to have water. So she so the woman just had to step back and that allowed the man to kind of wake up and realize that this is his job. He has to secure the house. He has to secure the bills and make sure that everything is managed and taken care of on that respect. But then there's other situations where maybe the man is not really being manly because you're not being womanly. Like, are you sometimes like if you try to take care of him, right. And you like make a real effort to do things that are specific to your role as a wife and as a mother, then that will inspire him and kind of make him wake up that, look, there are defined roles here. Because a lot of guys, unfortunately, you mentioned at the beginning, there, there's this feminization of, of men. And they, unfortunately, need to be trained and inspired and kind of shown. And like you guys are trying to do this with your podcast. Brother Gabriel is doing that with his uh, channels. And a lot of guys are now trying to teach leadership, teach how to be a man with muru'a and rujula. But for a woman who is in that situation, do your part, not by criticizing, like because a lot of men don't react positively to when they're being criticized. In, uh, instead, like try to inspire you, you know, do your specific roles and, you know, you're nudging him basically like, look, I need a man. I need a man in this situation. Like you need to pick it up. And some guys are just lazy and that's, you know, the reality, it's a sad reality, but you know, for them, they, they might need something more. Like they need their family to encourage them. Like if they have their father, right. Talk to the, like, if you're the, the wife, talk to your father-in-law and be like, Oh, did you know that, you know, we might need help with this or maybe the Imam at the masjid can help and talk to the guy, like, do your responsibility on X, Y, Z. So it's really a case by case basis and there's not going to be one fit all solution, but those are the things that come to my mind. Oh man, always such good advice. Do you brothers want to put in another point or two before I ask the next question? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. Go ahead, Rami. No, it's okay. You haven't spoken that much, so go ahead. Okay, that's fair. Bismillah. I was going to say that was a great answer, mashallah. I feel like it was, it was very encompassing. Alhamdulillah. Uh, so just glakhir. I just wanted to to add again this is what I was saying like it kind of I feel like it starts with men the fact that a woman just has to kind of you know do what she can do but essentially she's waiting for him to be a man 
it goes back to a man stepping up to be a man. And, and this is something we've lost, which is it's, it's a fundamental crisis within men that they're not being men. So it's a journey for everyone. Everyone has their own journey, but men need to put aside this preconceived notion that they can't be masculine and they have to first understand what masculinity is, right? For me, it was looking at the Prophet right? Seeing it in, in the good men around me, right? For actual practical experience, but, um, to have the proper understanding, I would go to the Prophet and see how he was. And I'm not talking about being what society says, you know, a man is. He was a super nice guy who's agreeable and everyone likes him because he's super nice. I'm talking about being a good man with good fundamental morals, which goes back to Islam, who can stand up to the plate when he needs to be. He needs to be brave like the Prophet was brave and he needs to actually be a man. So forget what you think you know about being a man. And just relearn what it means to be a man. Go to mm-hmm. Islam. Go to the Prophet. Said, see what you know. The, the best of generations, the best of men. See what they were like, and try and incorporate that into your life, and see how it changes significantly. And it may take three, four years, right, to Perfect. see to see some <clears throat> change. But as long as you're working towards that, you'll get there someday, inshallah. But you know, this is an imana. You, you know, know, Coach Rami went in. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, man. Just look a little for that. Oh, yeah, uh, yo, real quick before Anhel says, Daniel, how much more time you got? Um, I can go for another 10 minutes. Perfect. All right. So before Anhel goes, one word, guys. Auto deposit. All right. If you don't want to be the husband that has your wife nagging because you didn't pay those bills on time, set up auto deposit, man. The, the, the money will get withdrawn when the bill is due. And provided you got money in the bank, that shouldn't be an issue. Good advice. That's facts. That's facts. Um, I would just, you know, just agree with both Rami and with Daniel. Um, the only thing I would add is like, if if you're a woman, uh it's hard because I mean we're not women, so I can't say much here. But if if I was a woman, if I was a woman, uh, I would be feminine from the rip from the start and you'll notice that most women are feminine from the start like if you meet them for the first time they tend to be pretty feminine it's it's literally you as a man or it's literally the 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 male as a man or whether he is a man or not that's gonna cause her to start like shifting to her masculine it could happen later in the relationship it could happen right there in the beginning it's like bro women respond off like those uh subtle the subtle communications, the the body language, and uh, the shifts in your your tone while you're speaking, and uh, the way your eyes are looking, all that stuff. That's body language too, but you feel what I'm saying. And if a woman responds to that, and she starts acting more masculine from the rib, well, the woman should know. Like if I'm a woman, I would know. Okay, this is not a proper man. This is not a proper man. And if I'm with him, I'm probably not going to be happy. I'm not going to feel good. And, bro, as a woman, she's going to feel happy and feel good when she's in her feminine. So if, I, if I'm if i a woman and I'm, like, internally have this realization, like, oh, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to feel good with this guy. It's because this guy is not a masculine dude. He's not proper. Right? But, like, let's say a girl is in a relationship after a while. If the guy begins to fall off, which, let's be honest, a lot of guys fall off and – they, um, I don't know, they get lazy or they start becoming feminine or whatever it is that happens. Um, if the guy starts to fall off and he, he's not withholding his side of the bargain, 
you know, he's not being the male, the masculine in the relationship. Well, it's kind of like how Daniel said, like, quit trying to control everything. Like, if I was a woman, um, number one, I wouldn't try to control everything. I would just kind of like let it be. And number two is I would actually stop doing the things that are like very feminine for him. And that would happen naturally because it, it, think about it. If, if a man is feminine, the woman can't be feminine as well. Like there has to be a masculine and a feminine. So it's either going to be the man and the woman masculine feminine or the man being feminine and the woman being masculine so it's like again as a woman i would just kind of chill ease back and not do so much not just in the sense of like my duties but also in the relationship and like in us talking and all that stuff where it's like a guy's gonna notice that real quick if a girl his girl is not talking to him. yeah if his girl doesn't want to uh, be affectionate and all that stuff. Are you trying to cut me off, bro? No, I'm trying to say oh, one no. word, bro. Relax. Yeah, relax. Exactly. The woman just has to relax. And if she chills out, relax and backs off, like the guy will be in tune. Even if he's been out of tune, he will be in tune with the fact that you are probably not cooking him any food. You are not paying him any attention. You are not giving him any affection. You're not being the feminine and he's gonna react like i'm sorry but like every dude's gonna react in one way shape or form and he's he's gonna do something you know so i mean again i don't have much insight because i'm not a woman but i feel like if i was a woman those are like little things that i would pick up on you're out here posting thirst traps all day wondering why your husband's just not not with you not paying you any mind why would he so before I ask Daniel his last question and then let you guys ask him any last questions you have, we have about just under 10 minutes left. <clears throat> Anyone watching this that made it this far that wants to know how to be a real man, I think subscribing to this podcast without tooting our own horn would be the first step. Subscribe to the Muslim Skeptic as well, Brother Daniel. And if you want to watch more about masculinity, watch our episode, I think it was 14 with Brother Gabriel Romani on masculinity. There is no toxic masculinity. I think toxic no. masculinity is a woman, just like Anil said in his videos. <clears throat> and don't and listen dude. to society. Uh, let me finish this point. Like Romani yeah, was saying, ahead. don't listen to society, but a real man is this, or a real man is that. Society's not going to tell you how to be a real man. Society's going to tell you how to be a nice boy, and you're going to live your life being a nice boy, and 30% of these nice boys will then wake up and then become a bad guy. Right. Y'all ever watch like Marvel movies where they got they got superheroes and they got supervillains, bro. Superheroes no. are just putting everyone first, just putting everyone's needs before them, compromising their masculinity. And then you got supervillains who are kind of like they're red pilled, but they like get bitter and they, they go mm-hmm. megtal, you know, and they're like, yo, screw all this. Right. I know Mohammed Hijab started a megtal podcast now, but they kind of get yeah. kind of like just off it. Yeah. But it's like you guys see those antiheroes like Venom or Deadpool they're they're not nice guys like they still do what they want they're still good though fundamentally at the end of the day right they still want the good of the people but they're not a bad guy like they're not evil but they're not gonna put everyone first they're not gonna just you know when someone says jump they don't say how high they're not that guy but yeah if you made it this far subscribe man we got 30 percent of our viewers that are not subscribed on what do you have to say to that to the subscribe thing or the thing that I'll yeah to the subscribe thing bro thirty percent I think twenty nine point seven percent because I go over the analytics right they're not subscribed 
Isn't that a good percentage? Yeah, that's that's pretty. That means low. 70% are subscribed. I'm yeah. trying to go for 100%. <laughs> that's very high and very optimistic of you, brother. Um, but I was gonna say the last channel, bro, that you forgot to mention. If if dudes are out here really trying to become men, like proper men, dude, y'all gotta subscribe to Apostate Prophet, bro. <laughs> I'm I'm just playing, bro. Go no, ahead, you'll, be, you'll be a real man, though. You'll be a real man, according to society. All right, Rami, you got anything to say before I ask my last question? Uh, no, nah, I was just gonna ask. Do you guys know what the uh, hero instinct is? Have you guys heard of it? No, it's a white knight it? instinct. <laughs> I, I I remember hearing of it um a while ago on an ad, saying that like if you trigger a man's hero instinct, then you'll like you'll land him. And I want to know if you guys had any comments on that. No I've comment, heard bro. Of that, bro. Okay. <clears throat> what is yeah. the hero instinct? Triggering it? Like how how would you trigger it though? See, that's the thing. You know, these ads, they don't really reveal the secret at the end. And I'm not going to go, you know, dig into that. But it essentially was basically like, you know, every man wants to be the hero. Right. And I see this within myself. And I think a lot of people do. Everyone wants to be the hero. So if you make a man feel like he's a hero, he's going to he's going to adore you a lot more because of the way you make him feel. So I feel like that, mm. that may be in tune with a woman being feminine, because if a man knows that, you know, he has a feminine woman, she's being feminine with him. It's going to make him feel more like a man or more like the the one, the hero, the whatever. Mm. So, yeah, I want to know if you guys had any, like, thoughts. On yeah, that. bro, yo, I've been that guy. It's not just it's not just something in your head. I'm sure I know can relate. Bro, haven't you been with girls in the past where it's like every time something happens, you're like, babe, what's wrong? Like, you want to be that guy that, like, fixes everything. You feel me? You just yeah, can't so let things be. Right? And, uh, my last question before these two jump in real quick is to brother Daniel. You talked about women, you talked about men, but I feel like you wouldn't have men and women without parents. So what is your number one advice to parents? You can give me general advice. You can give me one towards, let's say, raising boys and raising girls, but just your two cents, inshallah. Oh, about just raising children in general? Yeah. Um, I would say just be a there's definitely the aspect of being a good parent, but also just being a good husband. Like if you're a father, be a good husband because your children are going to look up to you and they're going to respect you more and they're going to love you more. And you're going to be a good role model for them. If you are a good husband, like how you treat your wife. And if you're not responsible, if you're not stepping up to be the man, then they're not going to respect you. And they're, they're, development is going to be negatively impacted by the way that you're shirking your responsibilities as a husband. And similarly, if you're a mother and you're a wife, be the best wife that you can be. Because again, your daughters and your sons are going to look up to you and see how you treat their father. And it makes a world of a difference um, because just because you are a parent now, that doesn't mean you stop being a husband or you stop being a wife. No, you still are a husband and wife and you have responsibilities. You can't just focus 100% on the kids and ignore your spouse. No, do continue to be the loving, caring, responsible, uh, romantic husband, romantic wife, and your kids will greatly benefit uh, from that 
investment that you make in your spouse. It pays off major dividends because when the parents are happy and your parents and children see that their parents love each other and care about each other, they just feel so much better and secure and comfortable. But if their parents are fighting and arguing and the marriage is kind of on the rocks, then they that psychologically affect them and they're going to be much more uh, anxious, uneasy, because it's an unstable situation. So this is in line with Islam. Like the Prophet wasallam said that uh, the best of you are the ones who are best to your families. The best of you are the best. In another narration, narration, the best of you are the ones who are the best to their women folk. So we have to be our best uh, to our spouses, and that will trickle down and influence our children as well. Allah, great answer. Uh, y'all got any questions? I asked mine earlier, Angel. What your last name is? How do you pronounce? Uh, how do you say it? Harirajou. Say that one more time. Harirajou. Harirajou. Bro, I heard. Um, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to try you, bro. But um, I heard that Apus. Said that your last name sounded like Pikachu. Uh, he thinks that like that's a big insult, but I think he gets more pissed off when people call him Apus. <laughs> no one people call me P- Pikachu. Yo, you <laughs> like, know it's not that big funny? a deal. You know, it'd been funny if while you guys were having this uh, debate, he would have pulled that out and you just would have busted out like a Pikachu Pokemon card. <laughs> like, yeah, what's good? Yeah, like. <laughs> That's fine. I know it's a hard name to pronounce. That's okay. <laughs> it's it's cool though. I like it. I like it too, yeah. man. Inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah. So guys, with that right. being said, hold on, hold on. Yeah. yeah. If y'all made it this far, go ahead and put hashtag man up. And I'll let y'all finish it. Yeah, man. You know what's crazy? I was literally gonna say hashtag man up. For real? No, no. That's what I was going to say. And then you were like, hold up, hold up. And then you just said that. And I was like, that's my man, bro. Jeez. All right. So now you guys have to type that. I take man up and subscribe. Subscribe to us. Subscribe to brother Angel Shell. Angel, as you see, his name is pronounced or spelled right there, but with two A's. And subscribe to the brother Daniel Hakikachu. That's how I'm going to pronounce it, bro. Don't take any offense. Um, known as the Muslim skeptic. Always posting real content, not the most politically correct, not not gonna agree with your reality, but it aligns with the reality. And of course, find us on IG. And brother Rami has a book as well that I want to shout out, bro. It's called Ambidextrous. Really good book, man. Really good book. A lot of poems in there. Poet. I recommend y'all get it with brother poet Rami. And he has a TikTok too. But with that being said, subscribe to the video, like this video, get these likes up too. And if you want to get brother Daniel back on this podcast in the near future, don't just write hashtag man up, write hashtag man up and also write hashtag bring Daniel back. And with that being said, Rami, end it off. That's glacher. May Allah bless you all and our, our honorable guest here. MashaAllah, brother Daniel, thank you for, for coming on the show. MashaAllah, it's always a pleasure and we look forward to having you in the future. MashaAllah, with that being said. May Allah bless you all. Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa kina adha bin nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.